At the heart of the 500-year-old Aztec calendar stone, there is a face, the face of the Aztec sun god known as Tonatya. This face looks out through a large hieroglyph that was known to the Aztec as Olin, associated with the earth, movement, and change. This enormous 12-foot-wide stone, weighing almost 25 tons, is also known as the Sunstone, and it's found in the National Anthropology Museum in Mexico City. Many people think of this stone as the Mayan calendar, but it isn't. Elaborately carved on its surface are the 20 core days of the Aztec calendar, the Aztec equivalent of the 20 core days in the Mayan calendar. I'm pointing this out at this time because of the significance of that Olin hieroglyph. We'll return to this in a moment after I welcome you to the 16th edition of Navigating the Energies of Life, a podcast that looks at how the energies of the Maya calendar are at work in the world and how they apply to daily lives. This is Marguerite Paquin, continuing with this podcast to accompany my horoscope blog that tracks the days of this calendar. For anyone newly joining us, we're working here with a calendrical system that has at its core those 20 energies depicted on the Aztec sun, stone, and elsewhere. They work in tandem with 13 unique numerical powers to create a cycle of 260 days that involves the interconnecting and cycling of those 20 unique solar forces in combination with those 13 numerical powers to create a count of days that has many different names in ancient Mesoamerica, one of which was Zulkan to the Maya. Each of the 260 days in the cycle is unique. Each one ties in with events going on in the world, and every person carries the energetic imprint of the forces that were in play at the time of their birth. The influence of those energies on world events and people's lives is the focus for both the blog and this podcast. This is done by tracking the tracinas, the 13-day periods that cycle within this system, with each one having a different emphasis or theme. We're now working with the energies of the Caban Tracina, which began on Saturday, October 17th, which ties us back into my opening comments about the sunstone. Caban is the Maya equivalent of Olin and it's a key energy within this system as a whole. Do you remember back in 2012 when so many people were running around thinking the world was going to end? For the most part, they had been digesting absolute nonsense from the media, who knew nothing about the functioning of the Maya calendar, but had picked up this false notion and pushed it for sensationalism. Three years earlier, a horrible disaster movie called 2012 was released, 
about the end of the world, which did not help, and many actually thought the world was going to end that year. The specific date was December 21st, which was the fourth day of the Tresina that we're in right now, exactly 11 cycles ago. At that time, we had reached a point in the larger picture when a great cycle of 13 Bakhtuns, equivalent of about 5,125 Gregorian years, reached a point of renewal, but it was never thought to be the end of existence, although it seems sometimes that human beings have been trying to make it so. So this is the time frame that started that great cycle way back then, over 5,000 years ago, and brought it back to the point of renewal in 2012. It's also a tracena that tends to push evolution, so the movement associated with it tends to be of an evolutionary nature, often earth-shaking in nature. Going back just one cycle ago to when this tracena was in place last February, things were at an inflection point in Washington, D.C. Republicans in the U.S. Senate were in the process of voting to acquit the havoc-creating pretender-in-chief who had been occupying the presidency, despite the fact that his actions on both national and international levels had clearly risen to the level of high crimes and misdemeanors. At the same time, dire warnings were coming out about the deadly nature of the recently discovered coronavirus. Warnings were given about how rapidly it might spread, but few were willing to listen. Few were able to provide the leadership needed to curb the spread, and now millions of people are really, really in jeopardy. The decisions made in Washington in the Senate at that time, decisions that overruled the wishes of 75% of American voters, meant that the tyrant-in-chief was given the go-ahead to continue his rampaging for yet another cycle. That vote for acquittal took place one cycle ago as of the sixth day of this time period which will be October 22nd. And at this time, that is the day when the vote to advance Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court takes place. As Republicans again completely disregard protocol and ethics and decency, breaking their own rules about not undertaking such a move so close to an election, as they again trample over the rights of the people to choose who they want to fill that position so that they can force through their own agenda. All this, in addition to this being the last full Tresina in place before the long-awaited presidential elections. As this Tresina began on one caban, could translate as one movement, as in that central hieroglyph in the Aztec sunstone, we were at something that can be seen as a 52-day shift point, 
a point that marks the start of the fourth 52-day period within the overall 260-day cycle. I find it intriguing to see this time that this first day of this Dracaena coincides with what would normally be the huge festival in India that celebrates the arrival of the great mother goddess Durga, a dazzling ten-armed warrior deity who comes in to do battle against the forces of evil that threaten peace and prosperity. Now, I'm not an expert on ancient Indian mythology, but sometimes it is fun to do cross-cultural comparisons. And it's intriguing to see how they often line up with the energies of this calendar. And these are global energies anyway, regardless of whether people know about them or not. But this one is fascinating time-wise, since this is not only a festival that spans most of this Tresina, but it's also specifically about doing battle against evil. And currently, this is the kind of battle going on in the U.S., a battle against the absolutely despicable forces emanating from the highest levels of government that have not only been threatening peace and prosperity, but have been willfully and knowingly putting millions of Americans at risk, with a death toll already over 220,000 from the coronavirus. So here we have, on the other side of the world, a huge festival oriented around vanquishing this very thing. Let's just look at this for a moment. In Hinduism, the goddess Durga, who's also known as Shakti or Devi, is the protective mother of the universe. She manifests in many forms and is seen as a protector of all that is good and harmonious in the world. She often arrives for this festival seated on an elephant and is sometimes shown sitting astride a lion or tiger. Her multiple limbs represent her readiness to battle evil in any and all forms. Durga is seen as being both fierce and protective, generally depicted with eight to ten arms, but sometimes more. She usually holds in her hands symbolic objects such as thunderbolts, swords, and other items used to dispel evil. A trident, for example, is often shown, symbolic of her ability to alleviate physical, mental, and spiritual suffering. So it's interesting that this festival, oriented around her, coincides with this specific Tresina at this pivotal time. In many ways, she shares qualities with the Aztec patroness of this time frame, who is traditionally seen as an aspect of Tlazolteotl, the great mother goddess, who is known as the Eater of Filth. This deity, like Durga, had various guises, and many abilities associated with purification, 
including the ability to absorb and transform the sins of human beings. Because of her ability to do this, this Tresina was often seen as a time when confessional rites were conducted, a time when forgiveness could be granted for true penitence. Since this great mother deity was also seen as a fertility goddess who worked with major generative forces, the overall metaphor ties in with the tendency for many events within this period to be quite world-shifting. Many changes in direction can happen during this time frame that can have huge global implications as well as personal implications. Given the fact that these powerful female deities were associated with the first day of this time frame at this time, it was amazing to see that thousands of mask-wearing women rallied in Washington, D.C. and in some 440 other marches across 50 states on this day, on Saturday, in a huge show of opposition against the current administration, including opposition to what the Republicans are trying to do with regard to the Supreme Court. Some women wore white lace collars and black robes to honor the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and some wore red robes and white bonnets to mock the woman who the Republicans are pushing to take her seat. This was organized by the same Women's March leaders who were the catalysts behind the massive Women's March in 2017, right after the inauguration. Rachel O'Leary Carmona, their executive director, opened the Washington event by asking people to keep to safety protocol as she spoke about the power of women to end the tyrant's presidency. As she put it, that presidency began with women marching and now it's going to end with women voting. The organizers also encouraged women to participate in textathon efforts to encourage as many women as possible to vote. Something else that tied in with that day was the UN's International Day for the Eradication of Poverty, which was likely unnoticed by most people with so much else going on, but the UN's theme this year is to focus on acting together to achieve social and environmental justice for all. Their website highlights many astonishing facts related to this issue as it applies to global poverty. When you go into that site, the first thing you see is a photo of a Haitian woman preparing clay cakes, sun-baked discs made of clay, butter or margarine, and salt, which have apparently become a symbol of the extreme poverty and hunger in that country. It's a jolting image, and my first thought when I saw it was, surely they don't eat those. But further investigation showed me that, in fact, they do, 
and they have become a staple diet in very poor areas, apparently made from a special kind of mud that contains minerals, but it certainly shows the kind of extreme measures that people have to take sometimes to fend off starvation. When you see something like this and compare it with the obscene wealth at the other end of the spectrum, and even when you think about the food that goes to waste every day, it's truly hard to fathom. But the UN website tells us that as of two years ago, almost 8% of the world's workers and their families lived on less than a $1.90 U.S., per person per day. So that is indeed staggering poverty. Fortunately, there are many organizations out there working hard to eradicate this situation. Just a few days ago, the announcement came that the Nobel Peace Prize for 2020 was awarded to the World Food Program for its efforts to combat hunger. That organization has provided assistance for close to 100 million people in 88 countries who are victims of what they term acute food insecurity and hunger. The Nobel Prize website tells us that last year, 135 million people around the world suffered from acute hunger the highest in many years, and that this was the offshoot of wars and armed conflicts, with starvation sometimes being used as a weapon of war. So much, much more needs to be done. One more key event that happened on One Caban on Saturday was the landslide victory for a second term for Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand's general election. She has shown wonderful leadership with regard to the pandemic over the past few months, putting some of the strictest regulations in the world in place to stop the spread of the virus, and it worked. Her win was called historic, and she has now been given a mandate to deliver on her progressive democratic reforms. Way to go, Jacinda. So that was a pretty intense first day as this Jacinda gets underway. Now, one of the most important days during this period will be for Ahau on Tuesday, October 20th. This is a double sun type of force. The number represents the sun deity as does the day itself, Ahau. So this will be the full light of the sun, symbolic of renewal and enlightenment, doubled. This was seen as a defining burner day, the same energy that was in place on December 21, 2012, which coincided with the end of the very long time frame at the end of the 13th Baktun, at which point a whole new great cycle of time began. So on Tuesday, we will have completed 11 Zulkan cycles since December 21st, 2012, 
as we begin the 12th cycle. That will be the UN's World Statistics Day, with this year's theme being Connecting the World with Data We Can Trust, something that has been increasingly problematic due to the thousands and thousands of lies emanating from the White House over the past four years, and especially this year. Lies that have been literally killing hundreds of thousands of people. Back in 1945, this same For Ahau energy was in place at the time of the signing of the Unconditional Documents of Surrender by German forces. In 1969, this was the energy in place when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed the Apollo Lunar Module on the Moon and made their historic moonwalk. As it happened, this was the energy in place at the time of the first nominating contest back in February for the U.S. Democratic Party presidential primaries. It's also climate crisis activist Greta Thunberg's Maya Birth Energy. She was chosen as Time Magazine's Person of the Year last year at age 16. A documentary about her called I Am Greta was released just four days ago, nicely in time for her Maya birthday. She's still out there with School Climate Change Strike Week 113 happening at the end of the last Tresino. Another day to really watch for will be 6 Eek on October 22nd. This is a kind of everywhere type of energy aligned with the number 6 in combination with wind, breath and spirit. As of this day, it will be one cycle exactly since Republicans in the U.S. voted to acquit the tyrant-in-chief in the Senate after disallowing witnesses and a great deal of evidence, even though polls taken at that same day revealed that 75% of American voters wanted a proper trial. At that time, Mitt Romney was the only Republican senator with enough gumption to vote for impeachment. In his speech on the Senate floor, he indicated that he would be voting for conviction. This is part of what he said. Quote, This verdict is ours to render. The people will judge us for how well and faithfully we fulfilled our duty. The grave question the Constitution tasks senators to answer is whether the president committed an act so extreme and egregious that it rises to the level of a high crime and misdemeanor. Yes, he did. The president asked a foreign government to investigate his political rival. The president withheld vital military funds from that government to press it to do so. The president delayed funds for an American ally at war with Russian invaders. The president's purpose was personal and political. Accordingly, the president is guilty of an appalling abuse of the public trust. What he did was not perfect. 
it was a flagrant assault on our electoral rights, our national security interests, and our fundamental values. Corrupting an election to keep oneself in office is perhaps the most abusive and destructive violation of one's oath of office that I can imagine. What the President did was wrong, grievously wrong. Unquote. Romney's vote for impeachment denied the Republicans unanimous support for acquittal. So that was the moment when everything could have been changed. They had the opportunity to oust the tyrant-in-chief. Instead, they gave him free reign. As Rachel Maddow commented at the time, Everyone involved in the impeachment trial knows that their first line of their obituary will reflect the nature of their involvement, their moral and ethical stance. So they gave him free reign, and then COVID took over. So now we're returning to those same energies. And that is the day scheduled for the third and last presidential debate. And to boot, that will be the day when the vote to advance Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court will take place in the Senate, with Republicans breaking their own rules about not undertaking such a move so close to an election, completely disregarding and overriding the rights of the American people to choose who they want to fill that position. Democratic Senator Blumenthal called it an exercise in raw political power. Since most Senate Republicans have already passed the point of no return in terms of selling their souls, it's unlikely that there will be anything but more of the same. Just to return to one cycle ago, the day before that vote for acquittal, the tyrant had delivered a State of the Union address that was so filled with lies that several walked out of the chamber and many hissed and booed during the speech. As he was concluding it, Nancy Pelosi stood behind him and ripped up every page of her copy of the speech, saying the next morning that he shredded the truth and disgraced the House of Representatives by using it as a backdrop for a reality show, so she shredded his speech. It wasn't until September, when Bob Woodward published his book Rage, that we learned that the tyrant knew at the time he was delivering that pathetic speech that the coronavirus was deadlier than the flu and could be transmitted by particles in the air. According to Woodward, who taped the interviews that he had with the tyrant that provided the basis for the book, Earlier that very day, the tyrant's national security advisor told him in a top-secret intelligence meeting that the coronavirus would be the biggest threat to national security, like the Spanish flu. 
so he knew, but didn't even mention it in the State of the Union. He had a perfect opportunity to alert the American people to take precautions for their safety, but instead focused on trying to hide the information or downplay it. And so the horror of the last cycle played out as nearly 225,000 American lives were lost and livelihoods destroyed. With well over 8 million cases in that country, still by far the highest in the world, how many more will there be? Twelve more days from this point until the election. The remaining days in this Tresina contain echoes that tie in with whatever this is that's currently playing out. Seven Oak Ball on October 23rd, associated with self-generating darkness or secrecy, marks one calendar round or one 52-year cycle in the Maya calendar since Richard Nixon won the presidency. The following day, Eight Khan marks one cycle since the death of Dr. Li Wenliang, the doctor who issued the first warnings to colleagues back in late December last year that there were seven confirmed cases of coronavirus, the first seven to die. Then comes Nine Chikchan on October 25th. This is often a powerful, outwardly projecting force to do with life force that has, in the past, generated major weather events such as typhoons. But it can even push forward evolutionary kinds of events, as in evolutionary movement, as it applies to this Caban Tresina. Events that can significantly impact the world. In 1848, the first Women's Rights Convention convened in New York under this influence. This was in place at the beginning of World War II, when Germany invaded Poland in 1939. And again in 1944, when Paris was liberated by the Allies. In 1863, this was in place at the beginning of the horrific Battle of Gettysburg, which was a turning point during the U.S. Civil War, as the Confederate Army was forced to retreat. Six cycles ago, in 2016, this energy coincided with the beginning of the consequential Republican National Convention in the U.S. Four cycles ago, in December of 2017, the GOP shoved a massively unpopular tax bill through Congress with no hearings, no Democratic support, no expert testimony, and no advance planning in order to slash tax rates for corporations and provide huge benefits for the wealthy. It was a bill 
that provided the top 1% of Americans with 83% of the tax benefits and was projected to add $1.46 trillion to the U.S. debt over a decade. Think about that in contrast to what I was speaking about earlier with regard to Haiti and world poverty in general. Lily Tomlin, who was born under this influence, once said, quote, There are too many people that make so much money at the cost of lives of other humans for no reason but to make the money, unquote fits right in with that Republican tax cut for the wealthy. And then we come to 10 Kimi on October 26th, a double absolute foundations type of energy that's represented by the death god in both the number and day sign positions. As of this point, it has been six agonizingly long cycles since the deranged tyrant was officially and unfathomably nominated as the Republicans' candidate for president. Clearly, the death god was laughing since he knew that this would mean that he was stealing Republican souls. Unfortunately, it also meant that hundreds of thousands of lives would also be taken because of it. As of this day, in 2020, it has been three cycles since the final day of the contentious Kavanaugh hearing related to the U.S. Supreme Court. As Democrats attempted to expose the fact that Kavanaugh blatantly lied under sworn testimony with regard to a host of issues in the past. Projecting to this day, currently, in terms of the coronavirus, it's likely that there will be over 42 million cases worldwide by this time, with close to 9 million cases in the U.S., with the death toll there somewhere close to 230,000 people. And then we come to 11 Manique on October 27th. This is inspirational deer, a kind of double earth, change-oriented day aligned with the idea of reciprocity and new possibilities for the earth. Although there can be a sacrificial aspect to it. Unfortunately, the last time this was in place, last February, it was the American people who were being sacrificed again, as that was when the White House rolled out a budget that called for $1 trillion in cuts to Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act over a decade as well as seeking to have U.S. funding for the World Health Organization, in addition to calling for deep cuts to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention 
and to the Infectious Diseases Rapid Response Reserve Fund. Sheer madness, as this was when the pandemic was ramping up in earnest. When we come to the final day of this Tresina, we will be at Maya Day 13 Muluk on October 29th. This is the energy of transformational water, an energetic, often dramatic type of energy that can trigger strong feelings and even stir environmental forces that have in the past developed into floods, tornadoes, and even hurricanes. At that point, it will have been six cycles exactly since the 2016 WikiLeaks release of documents stolen by Russian hackers from the DNC and called for by the tyrant, intended to hurt Hillary Clinton, which triggered the torrent of speculation that ultimately resulted in Clinton's loss in the November election and all the political chaos that has happened ever since. At this point, this year's presidential election is five days away. Time to turn on the Blue Wave Waterworks full blast to ride the transformative wave of 13 Muluk, transformational water, to power wash away the monster and his vile cohorts so that healing can begin. Okay, as always, the days of this Tresina are highlighted in my My Account of Days horoscope blog at whitepotpress.ca. This horoscope blog can also be accessed through myacalendararts.com where you can find earlier podcasts, information on Maya Calendrics, posts on topics such as birth dates and energy cycling, and information on such things as coaching services and personalized artworks. For anyone who might like some assistance directly from me in terms of exploring how these energies may work within your own lives, please check out some of the options outlined on that Maya Calendar Arts site. As highlighted there, there are many different ways in which to work with these energies. And as you've seen through this podcast and blog, I often provide examples of how these energies tie in with other events and work in other people's lives. But until you actually start working with them personally, much will be missed. Feel free, if you wish, to contact me if you have any questions. Contact information is in the websites as well as information on subscribing to the Horoscope blog. Let's finish off with a couple of more quotes from Lily. She said, Reality is the leading cause of stress among those in touch with it. And the last four years have been nothing but one long, very creepy, highly destructive reality show or non-reality show. And it has been highly stressful for the whole world. She also notes that, quote, the best mind-altering drug is the truth, unquote. 
something that has not been forthcoming from the White House ever since that reality show began in January of 2017. She also points out that, quote, maybe if people started to listen, history would stop repeating itself, unquote. As we've seen here, those repeating echoes show up clearly through the lens of the Maya calendar. And so do the signs of change. And finally, one from Dolly Parton, whose Maya birth energy is one Kiban, the first day of this, Tresina. She said, quote, We cannot direct the wind, but we can adjust the sails, unquote. It's looking like the majority of Americans are now in the process of doing just that. Good luck to you all and bless you. Until next time, right before the election, be well, keep safe, love to you all.